Welcome to a new edition of the Educationalist Around the World podcast. Today, I have the pleasure to be joined by Jenny Frederick, the founding executive director of the Yale Purview Center for Teaching and Learning. As of July 1st, she is also associate provost for academic initiatives, responsible for the Purview Center and the University Registrar's Office and convening the academic pillar of IT. Jenny received her BA in chemistry from Cornell and her PhD in chemistry from Yale. Following faculty appointments at public and private Connecticut universities, she returned to Yale in 2007 as Associate Director, Science Education Specialist in the Graduate School. She assumed positions of increasing responsibility, including Director of the Center for Scientific Teaching, where she advanced a national effort to transform undergraduate STEM teaching. Jenny brings to the Purview Center notable interdisciplinary teaching experience and the commitment to inclusive teaching practices in higher education. In this role, she provides leadership across campus for educational initiatives, as well as the belonging at Yale effort focused on equity and inclusion. Let's hear more about her story. Hi, Jenny. So nice Hi. to have you as a guest on our podcast today. Really, I'm, really excited to I'm hear. I'm so happy to be here, Alexandra. Thank you. Uh, so thank you so much for your time. I think we should start with, uh, well, I think everyone wants to know a little bit more about you and your story and how you got to, to this position here at Yale. Okay, so I'll, I'll be really brief, but in general, it was a kind of windy path. And I've told you before, I love school. And I studied chemistry and French, and then I got a PhD in chemistry and did a postdoc in biotech. So I was interested in the sciences. But I, uh, my first kind of real job was assistant professor positions at two very teaching-focused schools in Connecticut. And I, I learned how to teach there, uh, you know, really loved that career. But then for a mixture of professional adventurousness and family reasons, I moved to educational development at Yale in 2007. So that's been some years now. I started in what was called the Graduate Teaching Center. Then I moved uh, into co-directing, developing, and then and then actually leading the Center for Scientific Teaching, which focused on science faculty and, and teaching. And then in 2014, Yale took two bold moves. One was to integrate eight separate different offices into one campus-wide Center for Teaching and Learning. And the other one was to hire me as the founding executive director for that. So that's kind of, you know, then here we are today with the Purview Center. Yes, thanks so much for being so succinct and really explaining your whole long journey um, uh, in, 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 a, in a very few words. Uh, you started already explaining a little bit about the merging of the different offices. So maybe that's a good moment to, to talk a little bit about the history of, of the center, uh, especially how it all started. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, anything else you want to share about it? Okay. Okay. So as I said, Yale made this decision to integrate a lot of separately existing offices into one campus-wide teaching and learning center. And in many ways, many of those offices already had connections and were part of a network. And if somebody called one office looking for something that was offered by another office, you know, that you would route them to the right person. But it, the timing was related to leadership changes and people who were award-winning teachers, were leaders and still are in, in many different roles, leaders of the university. So the focus on teaching and really caring about teaching quality at Yale, I think was a was a very strong signal from the very top. The president, one of his top goals, President Peter Salovey, he says, we want to be the research institution most committed to teaching and learning. So I quote that, of course, mm -hmm. whenever I have an opportunity. But that also 
uh, meant that creating a center for teaching and learning signaled that teaching is a priority. This is not something we dole out to a bunch of different offices, but there's one door for teaching and learning support. And that for some that might look like educational technology, for some that might look like help designing a new exam for their students, for some it might be working with graduate students who are learning to teach. So many, many dimensions of teaching and learning come under this one this one physical roof. So um, I really like the structure of the center because pedagogy drives all of our work. And as I said, there are many facets of it, but being together lowers many barriers for communication. We collaborate really well, especially now. I think the pandemic showed us the, you know, just the the strong connections and the collaborative relationships helped us with continuity. And we use that well in a crisis response. And I know lots of CTLs found that lesson as well. So that's, that's um, I think, some of the institutional context that helped us create the center. Yes, very, very interesting uh, context. And it's really interesting to see that you were already sort of prepared when the pandemic came, but I'm sure we'll talk yeah. about that in a, in a minute, how the yeah. pandemic helped catalyze sort of this, this progress that already existed. Yeah, and can I just add one yes. more thing? I, I wanted to give some credit because, because Yale was kind of late to the... Mm the community of having a campus-wide teaching and learning center. And I'd had these other educational development roles at Yale. So I was familiar with other very strong centers for teaching and learning. And I would look at them and think, oh, look at what they do. I admire this so much. Look at this model. What a great example. And so when we created the teaching center here at Yale, it was it was like a kid in a candy store being able to just build, you know, like my favorite program from somewhere somewhere else. Let's try it here. A structure from somewhere else. Let's try it here. So I make want to make sure that I'm giving credit to lots of lots of the you know the standby teaching and learning centers that we all look to for great examples and and their leadership over the years. Yes, this is this is a great point actually. The fact that we continuously learn from each other and we don't need necessarily to reinvent the wheel. Maybe you get. To you know, you, like in a, like a kid in a candy store, you get to build a new wheel, but you you definitely take some some models from yeah. other wheels, and I think uh, that's that's very important. And thanks for mentioning that because that's in a way that's part of the process, and I think it's mm-hmm. good to acknowledge it because yeah. we're never creating anything really from from scratch, and that's I, right. the most effective way is to actually look uh, look around us. Yeah, uh, and I'm currently doing the same thing so i completely understand uh, your <laughs> right. your perspective here um if i understood correctly you have uh, and of course from my experience here as well um the center integrates really uh, i would say almost all the perspectives that that you need for mm-hmm. teaching and learning so you have faculty facing you have student facing services yeah. but you also have educational technology and online mm-hmm. learning included in the center yes how you mentioned a little bit uh, very briefly the benefits of yeah. being under the same roof but i was wondering do you like looking at how things evolved before the pandemic and if you want you can include the pandemic what do you think were the um, the main challenges or what kept you most busy in bringing all these things together and keeping all these things together yeah well let me let me be really frank and say that in the beginning it was a challenge that the having prior existence as a unique independent center with an identity and a mission and then being part of a larger a larger brand new organization, there were multiple cultures. So bringing together the organizational cultures and the workplace habits and even even very logistical things like budgets or scheduling or um, whether or not, you know, do teams communicate by Slack or, you know, for some that was just routine and for others that was very, very new and different and, and even off-putting. And, and then I think also in the early days, one group didn't know deeply what another group did. So... So there was this like our I, I often use a metaphor of 
what I don't want to do is what I didn't want to do was stitch together squares to make a quilt where it's really just I see that pattern I see that pattern I see that pattern and then they still are very separate you can see the the boundaries mm-hmm. I wanted to weave it together into more of a, a lots of give and take and borrowing and I'll use a little bit of my expertise and bring in a little bit of yours and together we'll do something a little bit broader mm-hmm. and um, and help in a bigger way so so it took a while to get through that and there was some staff turnover and there was quite a lot of effort in thinking about let's t- let's work together as a community to design our guiding principles. We had consultants come in and work with us in intensive retreats to think about what is our mission together? What are we doing together? How does each team's effort contribute contribute to the whole? And then we've also consistently spent time learning about what each other does. So we still to this day have in all staff meetings we'll have 20 minutes, half an hour for one team to present in a, in a pretty detailed way. Here's a project we're working on. And, and now it's, it's um, much more of a community where people feel pride in each other's like, look at that great program. We're part of the teaching center. And, and that's one of our stars. But it's also almost an invitation that someone with their expertise might say, have you thought about this? Because from my angle, I, I wonder if you've thought about this and that might be an enrichment. And that's almost always now received with, oh, thank you. Let's, let's talk about that. Let's, let's see if we can do that. So there's more of a community of, of cross enrichment and exchange of ideas and respect for one another's expertise. And it wasn't like that at the beginning. So I can look back now with new gray hairs and say, okay, we've been through that and, and here's, here's where we are today. Would you say that, because one of my questions was, what do you feel it was your biggest achievement? Ah, yeah. Get there. Would that be it or maybe link to that? Because <laughs> um, I see it as an achievement. That's why I'm okay. asking. I'm sure you yeah, have many yeah. others. But... And actually, the, so there were three things that I wanted to say about biggest achievements mm-hmm. here at the Purvu Center. And one of them is about culture. Because we, I recognize we put so much effort into building the culture that collaboration and support and, and community and just recognizing each other as human beings. I think that work, even agnostic to the pandemic happening or not happening, mm-hmm. that of course we all lived through that, but that existed even before that. I think it was a it was an excellent community. And and I think that we're all learning and evolving all the time. So we're not we're we're revising our community values. We're revising our guiding principles. We're we're just constantly thinking not constantly, but we invest a lot of time in thinking about the organization and and I, uh, defining and preserving the culture that we want to have. So that's something that I'm that I'm really proud about and and want to see continue as a durable element. And then the other the other thing that I want to say, you and I have talked about this before, is when I first started, I very much recognized that we had the support of leaders who really cared about teaching, and they were award winning teachers themselves. They were generous with resources. They were generous with attention. They were generous with, um, you know, recognition and and putting the spotlight of of their communication vehicles on the Center for Teaching and Learning, and and that very much benefited us. So my goal in the early days was to not to not take that for granted, but to think about how can I future proof the center? How can I make sure that our supportive existence is woven into the teaching learning culture at Yale? That so our main stakeholders like the instructors and the students are deeply invested in our future because they rely on us. So that if there were ever, you know, heaven forbid someday where someone said, we, we need to really make some tough budget cuts at Yale, let's ax the teaching center, that it wouldn't, it wouldn't be me going to say, please, please keep us around. It would be faculty saying, wait a minute, we need the teaching center. And students saying, wait a minute, we rely on the teaching center. So 
uh, I think maybe we're not there yet if there is a destination, but I think we've had a far-reaching impact on campus, and I, I definitely feel more secure about our future. And as every CTL, I think, would, would tell you, has, has brought up, um, that living through the pandemic and becoming a critical partner to so many units on campus during the pandemic raised our visibility in places where it wasn't already visible, and that just accelerated the process, I think. So uh, that, that I'm, I'm really proud of. And then the, the third thing I'll mention as a Center for Teaching and Learning is our focus on here we, we describe it as diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. I know sometimes that those terms are different, different places. And we're not perfect, but we're committed. We, we are thinking about, well, as a leader, I think about where can I listen? Where do I need to take action? Where I need to show humility? Those are, those are how I think about that in a leadership role. But then I think as, an, as a teaching center, this is a shared responsibility. We all need to think about advancing the ideals of diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging in our, we, we all need to own parts of that, but also, and this can be hard, but, but it, I think, and it's different for different roles, but thinking about how do we find opportunities to put this into practice in our daily work, not as an extra project, not even as a, you know, passionate side project, but as a what am I doing today where I can, where I can show that I, where I can make a difference with respect to, to something related to DEIB? So um, that is something that matters at the Poorview Center, and we have a lot of work to do, but, but it is something that I think is a durable part of us as a teaching center. Well, great. All these points really, really, uh, I mean, speak to the idea of you intentionally creating time and space for coming together, for creating a culture and identity for the center, especially because it brought together different existing offices, um, but also for for really almost advocating for 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 diversity and and equity and inclusion. And I think this is this is a great goal and and a challenge for many centers and universities at this, at this moment, at least. Yeah, uh, and, yeah probably will be for the future. So I think I would, I would summarize your, your, your thoughts in, with the idea of intentionality. So th those things don't happen by themselves. They, right. they might start growing organically, like you notice now, but they needed an impulse in the beginning. Mm -hmm. and, and I like also the idea of future-proofing, of course, the center. Uh, you did bring up already the pandemic, and this would be, of course, we cannot not talk about the pandemic. So, right, right. Um, yeah, what was the impact of the pandemic that you noticed, like the strongest impact for the center, good and bad, of course? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I see lots of potential and I see lots of challenges, and sometimes those are two mm. sides of the very same coin. And I often, as a biochemist, I often think structurally. So I, I have a diagram in my mind where I'm seeing three spheres that, that touch and overlap. And one of them is residential education. And another one is online education. And another one is learning. And that, that over the years, those have not always been connected well to each other. And I think the teaching center, teaching centers even generally, play a role in bringing them together. And even in the middle, there's a little bit of a, a blurry magic where the real focus is learning, and we draw from tools of what can you do with people in a room together? What can you do with an asynchronous materials that people can access on their own times and, and bring that all together to create structures that promote learning? So that's kind of a high-minded conceptual sort of, of answer. But I, I think translating that into more practical terms, faculty have a lot more tools at their disposal and more skills that they were forced to learn during the pandemic. So here at a fairly conservative traditional 
historical institution with a, a very deep commitment to residential education as our main operation, I think that the CTL has played a role in advocacy. So trying to think or promoting things like policy that allow for more flexible course structures. If you read some of the policies that have been around for decades, they don't even acknowledge that that you might do something besides read books to prepare for a class. But, you know, how many minutes of video is equivalent to, you know, uh, 200 pages of a dense philosophical text? I don't know. But th- just trying to allow for flexibility in a way that helps faculty to use all the tools at their disposal and to design more creatively. So that's, I think, at, at places that are already more advanced in their incorporation of online education, that probably is a less of a challenge. But I think... Um, that there's a lot of potential for us to help faculty do even more and be more creative and and really think about the benefit to learning and put the pieces together in a way that is helping all students. And I think there's also an equity and inclusion element to that too, and accessibility hasn't come up yet. But when we think about the ways that so many of the tools that we were thrown into using during the pandemic helped us with uh, transcript and closed caption and um Make, having materials that are accessible to screen readers for people who need them, which benefits people who don't have documented disabilities as well as those who do. And just thing now that we have, you can't unknow that, that those benefits. So we're thinking about how to incorporate those into, into our structures going forward. And I think that some of the challenges that this brings is probably somewhat unique for schools that have a very traditional residential system and want to stick with that. We have to think about, you know, what are the limits of flexibility? And then when we say we have a residential education, it needs to be, I I think there's a higher bar now for, we need to justify what do we do when we get all those bodies in a physical room together? How is that different? And how is that value added in a way that you can't just do by um, connecting together on Zoom or using, using our very best practices for remote uh, connections of groups? So what, what's different about that? So I think, we're still in a transition and an adjustment, as, as are many, of thinking about what are students' expectations, what are faculty expectations, and where are we going to land? And I think, I think we need to reset and have a very transparent communications about what it means to be part of a residential education system, both for an instructor and also for a student. And, and kind of the rules of engagement have shifted a little bit. And the reset will not be to 2019, but I think there will be some kind of... Um, uh, of a restructuring and a redefining what we mean by an educational structure now that we know what we know from having lived through the pandemic. That sounds like a lot of interesting lessons, both for faculty and, <laughs> and, and for students and for the center itself. And I liked especially the, well, you mentioning the explicit communication and transparency, which I think yeah. is key at this point, but um, but also the fact that um uh, the fact that you are advocate, the, the fact that you are really emphasizing this advocacy role of the center, mm-hmm. uh, trying to uh, work towards these flexible modes, trying to look beyond the box in which we were before 2020 and yeah. try to find new, different, effective ways of, of combining the modes and the media uh, to suit instructors and students yeah. and to benefit learning eventually. So I think this is really interesting that you as a center take on this Mm -hmm. sort of role. Uh, And that leads me to the next question, also related to the pandemic, but more towards its impact, um, more linked to its impact on you as an as part of the institution, your your sort of institutional role yeah. at Yale, and yeah. and has that changed? How do you see that? And also projecting a bit into the future, 
you said you your aim from the beginning before the pandemic was to to future proof the center what has the pandemic done for that and where are you now yeah uh such a great question i have lots lots to say about that i I'm quite sure that the center, that the Purdue Center for Teaching and Learning, has a more central position in campus than it did pre-pandemic. I, I think we enjoyed a very central position pre-pandemic, and that we were highly respected. But I think that 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 only increased during the pandemic because, you know, credit to the people who work here, they really just stepped up and they. Everybody pitched in in a thousand kinds of ways that went far above and beyond their job mm -hmm. descriptions. And we know that's true of so many university personnel in inside CTLs, outside CTLs. And, and we all know it was a really tough time for so many reasons. But that was a bright part of it to see so many people working together so hard. And I think coming out of that, then, um, you know, one of the ways that that I that I use. Uh, an example that I use as evidence that we have an even more central position is the the increase in phone calls where people will say, Jenny, aren't you in charge of X or aren't you in charge of Y or aren't you in charge of Z? Because they think we must be because we touch so many things related to teaching and learning or or even could you take over this? Because we know that, you know, you know what you're doing as a center and, and you reach all the different ways and you're able to operate very collaboratively and you understand systems in a way that helps you be effective. So I think knowing our boundaries is something we have to pay attention to, but there's a way in which we can use that centrality also to convene people to have some conversations about really important topics. For example, how we evaluate teaching effectiveness. That's a, that's a perennial topic that, that, all kinds of institutions are interested in and, and perhaps I can say struggling with the, the system here um, uh, will definitely benefit from attention and sustained conversation. Grading is another one that I'm hearing a lot of interest in, partly because of how things happened in the pandemic with increased flexibility or experimental approaches to assessment. Uh, I, I think grading is a topic that's almost in some ways code for feedback and learning, at least of my way of hearing it. But there's so much grading and so little feedback and learning being being at the forefront of that topic. Another area where I think that I, I that I'm seeing the center play a key role is providing leadership for the future directions, the strategic directions of online education here at Yale. Mm -hmm. And it's I it's one of the things that we that we say and we have evidence to show for it is that connecting online educational projects to residential education that that having an ecosystem that's that's active in both areas, they're not separate spheres, but like I said before, describing the simple diagram, that these are coming together in ways that students in the online program may benefit from uh, connections to resources, people, students in the residential program, and vice versa, and how might one one program benefit both, um, both populations, online students, residential students, and there's some experiments and projects where that's actually happening. So... I think continuing to make that part of our strategy will be will be helpful going forward. Yeah, that's very interesting. I think that's something a lot of universities should be at least considering. How, not obviously, it's always seen as a dichotomy. Wrongly, I think online mm -hmm. and and uh, uh, residential, and I think yes. it shouldn't because there is so much nuance in between. And you mentioned quite quite some uh, some points on that, and I think that's really important to think to what extent. And what makes sense uh, to do in 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 uh, like to to work more towards the online education part, uh, mm -hmm. and what doesn't and needs to stay residential. Yeah. Um, again, thinking about you know 
meaningfulness of each and, and yeah. the benefits of each of each uh, uh, environment. Now, I hear from everything you're telling me and from having the chance to work with you here that you are a very, very passionate person, especially about what you're doing here. Um, and I'm really wondering, and if you could share with us, what do you, what is it that you like the most about your work? What makes it tick? What makes you wake uh, up in the morning and say, yeah. I want to go to work? Yeah. So I do love my job. I feel I just love what I get to get up and do every day. And I think um, I actually have two answers because I really can't separate them. It's a very people-focused profession They're, that I can't do what I do without working with so many different people. And and I love the people that I get to work with. So that that's a huge, you know, the culture, the community, the people. Um, even if I wake up feeling blah or I'm tired or you know, uh, just not really excited. As soon as I have one meeting with someone, just one conversation, I'm, it clicks. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I remember that I'm, I'm here. So, so people is a really big part of it. But the other part of it that I think is, um, lots of people could say people, because of course people make the world go around, but I think a little bit more unique to the profession of center for teaching and learning. And in some way different from prior roles I had, say as a, um, assistant professor, is helping, that this is a helping profession, that we're we're a service organization, we're providing support, we're helping people turn their ideas and their dreams into something that's happening in their mm-hmm. classroom, we're helping students go from a struggle to a breakthrough, we're helping students help each other, we're helping graduate students become young professionals and gain skills that they're going to take somewhere. So the helping part is so rewarding. And I think um, th- this will just tell you, maybe I'm a little bit impatient because of course, the research that I was doing back in my days as a chemist and a biochemist, that was helping people, or at least you could connect the dots and see how that would be helping people. But it was so slow and so removed. <laughs> so the teaching part of it and the running a teaching center part of it, the helping is so much more immediate and so much more visible that I, I think that, that that really drives me in. Um, I love that question. <laughs> yeah, no, I completely, it resonates with me totally, especially the people part. And I feel exactly the same. Once I have a meeting with someone that, that I, you know, and I have a very nice exchange of ideas, that completely makes my day. Like whatever else bad happens, that's deleted. So yeah. I completely agree with that. And the, the helping as well. And I I felt that even, like that sense even increased during the pandemic. I felt even I could be even more helpful and, and I could yeah. see the help. I could see my work really helping people more during the pandemic. Yes. So that, that yes. I think was a bit exacerbated during, during this period. So I, mm-hmm. in a way, I, I identify with that too. So, uh, yeah, out of your, you know, wide experience uh, um, in, in leading uh, this center, but also, you know, knowing about and quite, quite a lot about other centers and, and yeah. how they operate, um, and also really uh, being grounded in today's context and, and the near future. Um, um, what... What tips would you have for CTL directors? That's a really good question. And I think to prepare to answer it, I thought a lot about what tips have I been given from other from mentors and other CTL directors that I've admired. So again, credit for, mm-hmm. for whatever is going to come out of my mouth probably goes to other people first. But one of them is, is to connect with your peers. That I said this is a helping profession. So um, the value of a network of people who are doing similar kinds of work Every single time you ask somebody, you know, how do you do this? Can I, can you share? You'll ask for an inch and you'll get a mile. I mean, I think it's a very generous and supportive profession. So finding a network, even if it's a couple of people, just peers, other people, 
on campus or on other campuses, maybe through the pod network or other organizations. Um, connecting with your peers is a big piece of advice. And then another another piece of advice that I've learned more over time as I've gained leadership roles is the more that you can align your work to institutional priorities, I think is another way to um, future-proof the center or to uh, be readily able to demonstrate its value. When you're when you're contributing to an institutional priority and moving it forward and you're a part of the engine, then then you're seen as as essential. And um, I think that's that's useful advice that I've been able to put into practice over the years, too. And I think diversity, equity, social justice, those kinds of values are institutional priorities where CTLs can often be a leader in some ways because we're used to thinking about systems that have complicated parts. So so we can kind of put things together in an integrated way, whereas other parts of an institution might be operating a little bit more in a local fashion. So the, the CTL can often be a galvanizing force with, with those kinds of, of issues um, and initiatives. The other, another piece of advice is to know your boundaries. I think this came up earlier that good CTLs often get many requests that go beyond the scope of the mission. And so we think a lot about uh, capacity. And even if we get requests for things that are in our mission, but you can't just burn people out, instead of saying no, we try to think, well, what kind of a yes could we say? Do we have resources we could point them to that sort of self-service? Or do we have someone who's done the same thing, we could connect them with almost like a mini learning community. Or do we, um, or is this, or, or, you know, maybe this is something that's going to cr- help us learn in a way that we could then disseminate it through other engagements. So then maybe it's worth spending some time on. So just thinking about limits and boundaries and having strong reasons for saying yes or no, when you're really at the limit of capacity can be, I, I think, really useful for CTLs. And then the final piece that I will say is, is, almost like paying it forward because it's something I've benefited from. And that is that no matter how busy you are, that my advice is to take time to mentor other people because um, you will learn from your mentees. You will keep fresh. They will ask you interesting questions. You will discover things about yourself through those engagements. And of course, you'll be helping other people find their own path and, and learn valuable things that you might have to pass on too. So that's my advice. Thank you very much. Fascinating. And actually, I don't have anything to add to that. You mentioned everything. You mentioned networks. You mentioned aligning Mm -hmm. with institutional vision, which is absolutely crucial, I think. Um, And yeah, you mentioned everything else, talking to other people, talking to your peers, mentoring others. Uh, I think this is super important uh, today as it will be in the future, I'm sure. So thanks so much, Jenny, for your time and for your very, very interesting uh, insights. And uh, yeah, thanks a lot for working with me on my project while I'm here at Yale. <laughs> thank you. Oh, it's wonderful to have you here. And thank you. This is a great conversation. Thank you for listening. This podcast is part of the Around the World series on faculty development. You can find more stories on educationalist.eu. Watch this space in the coming months for more inspiration on professional development approaches in higher education from around the globe.